At the Rabbit Room, we're always saying that art nourishes community and community nourishes art. Here's another way to say the same thing. We can all be allies in bringing good, beautiful, true things into the world. One way you can be an ally with the musicians and writers and artists whose work you care about is to leave a review. It helps other people find and benefit from the work that has meant something to you. And if you want to leave a review for this podcast, well, that'll be okay too. Welcome to the Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. Ron Block is a banjo player and an amateur theologian. I'm using amateur in its original sense of a person who does what he does out of mere love. I suppose by that definition, he's an amateur banjo player, but he's also a professional banjo player. He's a longtime member of Alison Krauss's band, Union Station. He also appears in the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? I'll include a link to his scene in the show notes. Ron Block, I am so excited to have you on the the habit. I I, I love hearing you talk about creativity. You uh, of my friends, you're one of the ones who who thinks the most deeply and speaks most articulately about the um, creative process, um, thinking it through all the way into the, the sort of theological. So I, I, I'm it was really something I wanted to do to. Was just to get you on this podcast so these listeners could hear some of your insights about about creativity. So thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. You came to a creative writing class that I taught um, last year, and um, and you talked to the students about um, a couple of um, uh, a healthy cycle and an unhealthy cycle with creativity. And I would just love to hear you talk about some of that. Uh, yeah, I I've done a lot of work in this area because I play music uh-huh. is primarily. What I do, and I'm always looking for how to get better at it. And one of the things that I found was that my beliefs about my ability determine the results of my practicing. Huh. Yeah. And and I, you know I can expand on this a little bit. Um, I I dug into the the um, research of Carol Dweck, who uh, is a professor of psychology at Stanford University, and she did research into what she calls the fixed mindset and the growth mindset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, Helena Sorensen talked about this in her episode a few weeks ago, so I'll link to that in the show notes. Yeah, and um, so she says, Carol Dweck says, in a fixed mindset, students believe that their basic abilities, their intelligence, their talents are just fixed traits. They have a certain amount, and that's that. And then their goal becomes to look smart all the time and never look dumb. (laughs) In a growth mindset, students understand that their talents and abilities can be developed through effort, good teaching, and persistence. They don't necessarily think everyone's the same or anyone can be Einstein, but they believe everyone can get smarter if they work at it. So that's one aspect. Like I've had to realize in myself what what aspects of my consciousness hold a fixed mindset where where I was told things maybe uh, when I was young yeah, yeah. that oh you you know our family's not good at this or yeah. you know whatever those things may be in each person yeah so it's not that Ron has a fixed mindset is that Ron has a fixed mindset in, in this, this area. area in this other area he might have a growth mindset totally yeah yeah so um, it's not just it's not just one thing and would you suggest it's it's you need to have a growth mindset in every area of life. Yeah, every area. You know, really, I mean, that's really what the growth is all about. It's learning those areas where you go, mm, I need to grow there, first of yeah. all. And then you you got to believe you can grow there. Mm-hmm. And then you start growing 
but but it has to do with believing that you can is the first order of business, uh-huh. right? Yeah. Um, and so I've had to do a lot of work in some certain areas of my uh, musicality, certain areas of my just my daily life with people, you know, and start start believing the right things. So mm-hmm. uh, th- another thing I was going to bring up was the four minute mile was considered impossible until uh, one Englishman broke it in 1954. And then two months later, uh, this guy, Bannister, he was competing against uh, a guy named John Landy. Bannister beat Landy, but then Landy, Landy made the mile in under four minutes. Uh, so Bannister was the first one to break the four-minute mile. Bannister was the first one, and then Landy made the mile in under four minutes. So so all of a sudden you went, bam, bam, two people did it in under four minutes. Mm-hmm. And then Jim Ryan became the first high school runner to break four minutes. And in 94, an Irish runner became the first man over the age of 40 to break the four-minute barrier. <laughs> so my question is, what changed in 1954? Did people suddenly become stronger and faster after thousands of years? Like, you know, the answer is no. The answer is somebody did it, and then other people went, wow, I can do that. So the belief changed about whether a four-minute mile was possible, and then all of a sudden you see this onrush of yeah. certain personality types going, I'm going to do that too. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's really the, the, the mechanism behind, at least in my own life, of seeing, other, seeing musicians play when I was young. Yeah. Seeing music, I saw uh, Lester Flat on TV, and I saw the banjo player, and it was Haskell McCormick, and I just went, "I want a banjo. I have to have a banjo." Dad, can I have a banjo? <laughs> Dad, will you get me a banjo? And I was twelve years old, <laughs> and I just wouldn't stop. Yeah. And so, but then he got me one, and he says I didn't come out of my room till I was twenty-one. <laughs> right. So, so, but, but that's the first thing is just that um, changed mindset. That changed mindset of seeing the thing. Did you know any when you were growing up? It. Did you know anybody who ran a marathon? Not really. I that, don't. Th- that I don't seemed think so. like the most outlandish thing in the world. I'd you know yeah. I'd see on television people would run a marathon. I was like, what? Yeah. And now, yeah, uh, people run marathons it's all the time. It's fairly common. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, that's not super relevant to the conversation, but yeah, I thought about it whenever you were you were talking about this. I mean, a, a, a marathon just about the most important. You had to be some sort of Superman to run a, a marathon yeah. when I was growing up. Yeah. And yeah. now you just have to be a person. A person. Yeah, <laughs> that goes. I want to run a marathon, and yeah. they get the app that says, you know, couch to yeah, uh, couch potato to marathon in three weeks. Yeah, know. right. Oh yeah, I, I need that app. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so, so uh, new mindset, but I think there's surely there's more to it than just I think the five minute, the four minute mile is possible. So now I'm going to go do it. Right. Now, well, and again, I'll use myself as an example because that's what I know. Yeah, sure. Like I know my own mindset. So when I was learning to play music, my my early mindset about playing music and banjo and guitar and singing and every aspect of it, I didn't I didn't even question can I do this. It wasn't even like in my mind. All I all I thought was this is amazing, <laughs> and then I want to do it mm-hmm. because it's amazing. And so there was no interim question: Can I do this? Uh-huh. It was just I already had this assumption that I could I could do it. I didn't even ask if I could get good at it. I just knew I could. And I, did you keep that attitude? I did. I did. In some ways, I did. In other ways, you know, well-meaning, you know, authority figures in my life would say things like, "How do you know you're ever going to make a living? And how are you going to own a home? How are you going to raise a family?" You know, mm-hmm. and 
that kind of stuff puts things in a, especially when it's, it's a young man going into, or a young woman going out into life pretty soon. I, mm-hmm. I think I was about 15 or 16 when I started talking about doing it for a living. And, uh, and it puts things in your consciousness when yeah. people say stuff like that. They, and and what it, I think what it did to me was make me go, maybe I'm not good. Maybe I don't have enough talent. So maybe it may, gave me a little bit of the fixed mindset, uh-huh. uh, which, which came into play later. It didn't bear fruit right then, uh-huh. but it started to because mm. – and, and it started to for the reason uh, I'll show you a, a, the, what I call the try harder cycle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we that's really the whole, that's the whole reason I invited you on this podcast. This, this, this try harder cycle. I think I think it's really interesting. Okay, so so now I want to put this in in different terms for a second. Uh, if you think of let's say an introverted man whose wife wants him to go to a party and he doesn't want to go to a party because he has the belief no one likes me. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. The man has a, he has a desire for connection and to be liked, uh-huh. you know. Uh, so, th- so that's the bottom. If you think of a stack, you know, if you think of something stacked from the bottom to the top, this is what I'm talking about. So, uh, he has a desire for connection at the bottom. That's uh-huh. part of our wiring as human sure. beings. And then he believes a lie: no one likes me, uh-huh. or people won't like me. And then, so over top of that, he has the fear, I'll be rejected, right? So, he doesn't want to go to the party, but his wife makes him go to the party. And so, this fear brings a desire to control. Uh, I'll try to be funny, I'll, or I'll just be quiet, or he'll have some way of, uh, or I'll just not care. Uh-huh. There'll be some way in which he tries to control what he fears yeah. from happening. So he doesn't want to be rejected, so he'll do a preemptive strike and reject other people or whatever the, th- yeah. the thing is. Or he'll try too hard to be funny. So then there's tension, because when you try to be funny, you're not funny. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, you ever see people that try too hard to be funny? They're yeah, just, sure. it's not, lots of times it's not that funny. Yeah. Uh, so then... Um, what happens at the party? He stands around, he tries to be funny, and people go, well, yeah, he's a nice enough guy, but, and they kind of move away after a few minutes, and then he goes home going, see, nobody likes me. Yeah. So it reinforces that belief, and then the next time it happens again. Yeah. But, the, but the problem is not the desire for connection. The problem is the, the lie that no one likes me. Do you, so you put the lie before the fear. Yeah, because that's what stimulates first. the fear. The, mm-hmm. the, lie, the lie down there is the thing that's kind of fueling I'm going to be rejected. Because if he believed, if he had a desire for connection, and then this, the second thing in the stack was people basically like me. Some people might not, but you mm-hmm. know people basically think I'm a decent guy and like me. And yeah. If he had that in there, he wouldn't, he wouldn't really deal with that fear in I guess that area. I guess I'm just asking, does the, is, is it an important point? Maybe this isn't super important one way or another, but is the f- I could imagine somebody making that stack and saying the fear generates the lie, you know, like I, because I've got this fear and insecurity, then I then that fear itself generates a lie. Well, it, and, it, and in your point, it's a, the lie then generates fear. It's actually both, and I'm not sure maybe which came first. Mm-hmm. Um, to related somehow. Yeah, because yeah. what happens is it's a cycle. So it uh-huh. stacks desire for connection or be loved, the lie, no one likes me, control or fear, I'll be rejected, 
uh, control, I'll try to be funny. And then the tension is that it brings is mm-hmm. I'm not funny. You know, yeah. people don't laugh. And then it's a capped social ability. It puts a lid yeah. on his social ability, and then it reinforces the lie. He goes, see, no one likes me. Mm-hmm. So it's, it all kind of works together. So when you apply this kind of thing to creativity, yeah. um, I, I would put it like this. And if we, since we're, this is about writing, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll make this about writing. So if I have, I have a desire, let's say I want to write. I love writing. I want to write. And then... Secondly, I have a lie. Writing is so hard. It's so hard. And that may have come through experience or whatever or somebody telling you that it's super hard or um, worrying about writer's block or any of that kind of stuff. So writing is so, so hard. That's the lie. And then the fear that it stimulates is I may not have enough talent. Yeah. Maybe other people have way more talent than me and it's a lot easier. So you procrastinate and avoid... Um, and then the tension is not writing things that you love yeah. because you're avoiding it or you're, or you're trying too hard. I mean, one thing in music that kills a performance or a recording or anything is, is the musician trying too hard. I mean, you ever see, occasionally you see, um, somebody sing the national anthem and it's <laughs> like, I, I always go, can you just sing the melody? Yeah. It's a beautiful melody. And you don't have to try so hard to impress everybody mm-hmm. because it doesn't impress me. It makes me go, you're trying to impress yeah. everybody. Yeah. So so it. Um, uh, I would rather just hear somebody get up there and sing their heart and sing the words and sing the yeah. melody. I think I heard Jack Black sing the national anthem yeah. not too long ago. I didn't know yeah. if you saw that. And it's like just a guy singing it straight. I was like, when was the yeah. last time I saw somebody, <laughs> somebody sing it straight? It straight right? It was, it was yeah. very nice. You're there to sing the national anthem, not yeah. to get them to think you're a great singer. Yeah. One of the things that really helped me was spending a lot of time writing songs with Rebecca Reynolds. And she would always just go, you're, you know, she would just say, if I was trying to come up with a melody, She'd say, you're losing the image. You know, it just feels like you're trying to write a melody instead of, like, thinking about what this is about. And so I would have gotten off of, let's say, we were writing a song about Ireland. Uh And I would have gotten off of that image. And instead, I was going, where does the melody go? I can't seem to make it go where I want to. Well, my attention's off of the feeling that's in the song. Mm -hmm. And if my attention's on the wrong thing and on trying hard, then it kind of closes off the, the machine. And it's just like a, an athlete. You know, a runner doesn't start a race and go, okay, I'm getting ready to, getting ready to go, and they're, they're counting it off. The runner doesn't go, <laughs> you know, and then tense up his whole body. Yeah. He gets loose, he stretches, and, and it's like he makes sure he's in a place uh, mentally, emotionally, physically, where he's loose and ready for anything. Yeah. And he has his mind on the right things. Yeah. Instead of instead of I've got to try really hard, it's yeah. I, it's I love running and I'm going to kick everybody's butt, <laughs> right? It's yeah. it's like a so there's this real element of positivity that has to be introduced where that lie is, instead of like just ruminating on how hard writing is all the time. We should be thinking how much we love writing mm-hmm. and how much we love reading and how much great writers have moved us and how when we write that's what we want to do for other people mm-hmm. we want to give them an experience yeah right? yeah, yeah um I, i'm interested in your your choice of the lie being writing is hard i mean writing is hard right i mean i don't think that's a lie 
I think I think it is. Uh, I think uh, editing is hard. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, but but um, but it's but I use that because a lot because translated from music, music is hard. Uh-huh. Music is not hard. Um, writing you if if I said to you, write me a sentence, any sentence, you could write a sentence in three seconds. Sure. Uh, and I'd say, right, make make it a little more interesting, and you can make it a little more interesting, okay. right? Yeah, it's not hard at all. Like, uh-huh. but if you're if you're thinking in terms of writing uh, and saying, I've got to write the greatest novel in the history of mankind, well, now all of a sudden you're under pressure, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and I tell this to students when I teach guitar and banjo workshops. Uh, I'll do these workshop weeks, and one of the things that I do is I put my banjo on. One of the it's one of the first things I say is I go, okay, I want everybody to watch this, I and I wish I had the visual here, but I don't. But I have my banjo on, and I say um, uh, because I see people with all this tension in their arms and uh-huh. hands, and I say, put your hands by your sides. Now watch me, and I have my hands by my sides, and then I lift up my right, my left hand to the neck of the banjo. And I just kind of plop it on there. And then I lift my right hand and put it over the top of the banjo on the strings and just kind of plop it on there. And I go, that's proper hand position. <laughs> like where you don't have tension in your shoulders and just mm-hmm. everything is bec- – and then I play one note. I go, is this hard? Play, and I'd say, I'll say, play a note with your thumb on the third string. Just open, open note, G, G note. And they go, blang, blang, blang. I go, is that hard? And they go no. I I go. That's how you play banjo, just like that. It's it's done. It's done brick by brick. Mm-hmm. You learn it brick by brick. And if you learn the bricks and realize that each brick is easy, mm-hmm. then the rest of it becomes easier and easier. So if you start out with the lie, even writing is hard. Mm-hmm. If you start there, it's going to just get harder and harder. Yeah. But if you if you have you have sometimes we have to reset. I've had to reset stuff in myself in playing and tell myself that this is easy. Hmm. That yeah. I have all the dexterity I need. It's like it's like telling yourself like if you're writing just going for a walk and going, "You know what? God has given me all the mental acuity that I could possibly need, all the imagination I could possibly mm-hmm. need to write a story." And yeah. it's and it's not that hard. It's mm-hmm. it's not. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you can tell yourself. That's true. That we tell stuff. stories all the time. Yeah, um, and I, I'm always telling people, you know, when it comes to to you, you also have all the words you need. Like people don't need to know more words. If you're if you're a first grader, you might probably need to know more words than you yeah. know. But if if you're a grown up, yeah, you know, you you know the words. You don't need a you don't need a dictionary. You don't need a thesaurus. Right. Yeah, if you're going to the thesaurus, you're so it doesn't pay to enrich your word power it necessarily. Does not. <laughs> it certainly doesn't pay to enrich your word power in the middle of the work you're trying to do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Anyway. Uh, move. All right. So how do I get out of this cycle? How do I get out of this fear cycle? I think what has to happen – well, I'll, again, I'll go back to my own experience. What has had to happen for me – and it's, again, it's one of the things that Rebecca really helped me with was just – stopping believing that everything was so hard like mm-hmm. writing songs is hard oh it's so hard mm-hmm. oh, i got stuck oh i don't know what to do well my way to, when i got stuck was like get a sledgehammer and try to smash my way through the brick wall uh-huh. instead of instead of like going a gentler way and going i wonder if there's a way around this wall i wonder if the wall's even there yeah 
It could be just a mental outpicturing of a wall that I'm thinking is there, mm-hmm. right? Uh-huh. So that's one of the things she taught me. And so what, what I've come to see, and uh, especially in uh, my, my identity as a person, but also in, in music and my identity as a musician, as a player, is I have to tell myself that uh, if, I, if I come upon a hard bit, if I'm learning a, a Django Reinhardt lick or something and it's tough, I have to stop. If, if I start trying too hard, I go, you have all the dexterity you need hmm. to learn this. Yeah. All you need to do is listen to it, get it in your head, and then play it. And where you, make, where you mess up, you just have to observe unemotionally and not try harder. Yeah. And figure out where that little bit is where you're screwing up. It's like so. What if you put truth in where that lie is? What happens to the stack? It goes. It goes desire, and then you put truth in the inward parts. Uh-huh. You put truth in yourself, and a growth mindset, and then you end up with faith and confidence instead of fear. Uh-huh. So then you move forward in faith and confidence, and you have the, an enjoyment of the process. Mm-hmm. So you're you're enjoying it, and then also you have a sense of just like I get this when I'm practicing this observation where where before when I would practice and I'd keep messing something up I would get frustrated and sometimes try harder. Yeah. Well now I I go well that's weird I have all the dexterity I could possibly need <laughs> why why do I keep messing this up Let me look and see what's happening. Let me do it slowly, slowly. Mm-hmm. And then, then I go, oh, my third finger, when I push down on my fourth finger, my third finger moves too far away from the string. And so let me see if I can get it to stop doing that. And just it's just sheer observation. And yeah. that observation, the ability to observe without being all emotionally overwrought comes from that sort of confident faith attitude that I have what it takes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead of instead of thinking this is too hard for me, or I don't have enough dexterity, or whatever the deal is. Yeah, and 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 in so many, where do we even get the idea that um, that getting a chord or a note wrong reflects badly on you as a person, <laughs> yeah. or get or writing a bad <laughs> sentence? Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. it's it doesn't mean you're an idiot. It doesn't mean yeah. there's anything wrong with you. It just means you wrote a bad sentence. Yep, yep. And my, you know, in, in my teaching, one of my so often, I, you know, I I get the pleasure of getting to show somebody, hey, that's a bad sentence. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Or or sometimes this whole essay is a mess. That's yeah. okay. Yeah. Go write the next essay. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, in school, we learn in we learn in school to write, and so if you make a if you write a C essay, it's a big red mark. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And if you write a C, if you write an essay that's a C or a D, then right. that is, that's going to mess you up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But in, the truth is, in real life, you write a bad essay. I write bad you essays. Throw it away. Just throw it away. Yeah. Go do another. I one. used to. My daughter would be practicing piano. You know, in the in the library, we have a, a piano in there, and she'd be in there practicing. This she was probably. I started doing this. She was about fourteen, thirteen, fourteen. Uh-huh stick my head in and she'd be trying to play a passage maybe that was a little fast and uh-huh. and she'd mess up and I go hey Erica and she'd say yeah dad I go just remember when you make a mistake it means you're a bad person <laughs> <laughs> and she'd laugh and go thanks dad you know but you know made the point yeah. made the point for her that it's like don't connect your your personhood with making a mistake mm-hmm. don't do that and mm-hmm. and that's where 
uh, that's where this cycle, this, the bad part of this cycle really goes bad, is when you connect your identity with your performance. Yeah. And then, and then you're getting your identity from your performance, and then your performance is bad, then your identity, your perception of your identity goes bad, mm-hmm. then your performance gets worse. Yeah. And then, and then it just keeps feeding this negative cycle until you're depressed and angry and you know whatever the 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 thing is i think that's where a lot of uh uh problems come from mm-hmm. in, in people i mean i know that just from my own mind it that's, it can be hard to separate yeah i mean yeah um you may have actually did this i think at a at a seminar that i taught at your barn uh, so you may have been there but um one of my favorite things to do in in a in a seminar is uh, i've got a pair of essays written by somebody or stories written by somebody in subsequent weeks. Yep. First one's terrible. Yep. And the second one, really good. Yeah. Same person, one week apart. Yeah. Because this bad story doesn't mean she's a bad writer. It just means that particular story is bad. And it may be fixable, it may not be. And, you know, I guess you have to decide, is this this thing that I wrote that's not good, is it worth salvaging or changing? Or is it worth just moving on? And that's, you know, that requires some discernment that's not always easy. Yeah. But, but, uh, I love showing people this this thing that wasn't any good was yeah. written by a good writer because look what she did next week. Yeah, yeah. and um, was was it Dillard that said "Kill your darlings"? Was that? I, I don't know where that, that originated. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I like that. You have to do that in music yeah. sometimes too. Yeah, I love that. What I played on guitar there, but I got to take it off because it doesn't fit. Right, and <laughs> and and it's your darling. Again, that's a matter of you wrapping some sort of sense of yeah. self into this thing. Exactly. And I don't yeah. want to kill it. It doesn't yeah. serve. It doesn't serve the work. It doesn't serve my audience or my yep. reader. Yep. Um, but I like it because I like the way it makes me feel. Right. That's just the the other side of the coin of yep. this is bad. So that makes me feel bad. Right. No. Yeah. Yeah. So so the the uh, just to recap the, the so on the writing side of this I have the the uh, stack is desire I love to write yep right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the truth, I'm a writer. I love writing. Writing is easy for me. I can get better at it, right? Mm-hmm. And then that gives you faith and confidence. Now, it's not going to happen the first day you tell yourself that. Your your mind is going to go, no, you're not. <laughs> yeah. You're not a good writer. It's hard for you. And you're, you, and you're gonna, it's going to happen. But the thing is to just, you know, it's at the, at the bottom level of yourself, you just keep telling yourself, I can get better at this. I can do this. Yeah. You know, I can grow, I can learn, I can study writing, I can study great writers, I can read, I can grow. Yeah. So then the next thing that comes is faith and confidence. Uh-huh. That begins to come. And then you keep, of course, practicing writing. It doesn't mean you don't work on technique. It's sure. not a magic formula, yeah. you know. Um, and then there's an enjoyment of the process, the process uh, even the hard bits. Yeah. You know, you, you kind of enjoy, okay, this is a challenge, but yeah. this is easy for me, so it's mm-hmm. a challenge, so I'm going to get through it. Yeah. Um, and then there's freedom and ease, and and you have spontaneity, and then there's a released ability. Mm-hmm. Your ability gets the cap taken off of it. Yeah. And then there's a reinforcement of truth. I'm a writer. Mm-hmm. So that the it truth gets... a virtuous gets, cycle instead of it's a... Exactly. It's like it, it flips the cycle into a positive cycle. And then, you know, I, and I really think this is the source of 
uh, a lot of great musicians and great writers and all those where they may have struggles in a lot of other areas uh-huh. and even they may some great writers or musicians may sometimes have self-doubt but i think at root a lot of them have this sort of uh this sort of strong belief in what they're doing and what they're supposed to do and mm-hmm. they still have doubts about oh is this record good enough you know or mm-hmm. you know that kind of thing but their essential setting is not I'm I'm no good and no you know very few musicians that I have known have that setting that mm-hmm. are really good musicians they don't have the setting of and I'm not very good mm-hmm. yeah. it, it, I don't see how you could possibly it doesn't get very produ- far it doesn't produce room. anything good yeah. and it's you know it's true in the spiritual realm too you can't you can't you know you can't be kind and compassionate and loving and self giving if you believe at root you're selfish and ugly and horrible. It's it's like you can't you can't do both things, it it just won't work, yeah. you know. Or yeah. it'll only work to a degree. It'll uh-huh. be it'll be the effort cycle. So. Right, right. Yeah. So um, I want to I want to ask a couple of things. No, actually, I think I just want to ask one thing about this. The the uh, what do you call it? The growth cycle. The mm-hmm. the growth cycle. Um, that whole that stack in that virtuous cycle. Um, works on the assumption that the truth must be good news rather than bad news. Right. Um, okay. It it does, and and I and I I do have this kind of inherent belief that nearly anybody can be good at nearly anything, yeah, especially if they start fairly young. Mm-hmm. But I I've come to see that that I can I can really improve. At certain things, even I'm 55, even at my age, if I just go, I'm going to improve at this because I can. And it's, you know, it's powerful. Faith is generative. It it generates uh, action and motion. Uh And And so faith creates more desire and allows desire to be fully formed and then we move forward in that desire. Yeah, if if you don't mind my correcting you on something that you've thought a lot more about than I have. No, <laughs> not correcting no, is not the right word. Yeah. But you said anybody, almost anybody can be, can be good at almost anything. I think it might be more helpful to say almost anybody can get better at almost anything. Yeah, that's anything. probably. Because yeah, you know, yeah. good, that, that you end up having to, to yes. compare. Right, right. And with growth, all you've got to compare, all you have really have to, to compare yourself. is what you were yesterday. Yes. And that's a better way of phrasing it. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Um, but... But so so the assumption is the assumption in the growth my, the the growth cycle is that when when I tell the truth the truth is good news which is you know as Christian people that's something we believe anyway yeah hopefully and there's no need to over spiritualize <laughs> this but but just the the truth is reality is the only place you, the, of all the ways we have to avoid reality reality is the only place where we can actually be happy be successful have a good you know, right. And so, so reality is always good news. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's being present in the moment and yeah. and actually living it. Yeah. Um, and um, you know, one thing I'm I'm always telling writers that's 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 relevant to what you're what you're saying is that um, getting better as a writer is probably not going to be a function of trying harder. Yeah, it's yeah. it's Ugh. probably going to be a matter of clearing away all those habits, many of which are habits of trying harder mm-hmm. and getting back to what it is that you you know yeah we, we all know how to use language yeah um we use and, it every day yep 
And, um, and so, um, so, so much, you know, the, the hard work of writing is, is often the work of clearing away, not mm-hmm. bearing down and trying harder. Musical technique is exactly the same uh-huh. thing. I'm, I'm uh, there, and there was that. a time where I was not always vigilant with my technique. I had great technique early on because I was always just observing, going, oh, I wonder why I can't mm-hmm. play that. Oh, okay, then I fixed it. Great. Mm-hmm. And so I, my fingers stayed close to the strings and, mm-hmm. you know, all that technique stuff. But, uh, uh, years of gigging and and recording and being focused on the product sometimes more than the pr- process. That's where I started to uh, uh, get little bits. I mean, yeah. my technique has never been bad, but there's right. been little bits where now I'm looking at things going. That came from effort. Uh huh. Yeah. That came from playing too hard. Yeah. On on those gigs where you couldn't hear yourself, and that came from you know just various. It's mainly effort yeah. that causes all those problems. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's trying too hard. And then when you push too hard on a string with your finger, like your, let's say your index finger on your right hand and you pluck the string really hard, well, your finger goes too far. And then you have to stop it. You have to stop mm-hmm. the force. So you're using just way more force than mm-hmm. is necessary. And it causes a lot more movement than is necessary, especially then when you go to place uh, quieter, Mm-hmm. Your finger still wants to move that far, mm. so it takes a while to retrain. And I tell uh, people in, um, you know, camps and workshops that I do that your fingers are amoral. They don't. <laughs> they just do what they're told. Yeah. They don't have any concept of right and wrong. So yeah. whatever you train them to do is what they're going to do. And I, th- it's probably true with the mind and writing as well. Yeah. Yeah. The 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 mind is probably just it just does what you train it to do. Yeah. Okay, I know you you brought a poem that I that I I love. You, you'd read it in my creative writing class, and so I, I would love for you to share that now. Yeah, if you would. yeah, great. Uh, it's called the Archer, and it's from the Way of Chuang Tzu by Thomas Merton. Um, it's I'll just read it here. When an archer is shooting for fun, he has all his skill. If he shoots for a brass buckle, he is already nervous. If he shoots for a prize of gold, he goes blind. Or sees two targets, he is out of his mind. His skill has not changed, but the prize divides him. He cares. He thinks more of winning than of shooting, and the need to win drains him of power. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a powerful man. one. Yeah. For some reason, that that poem makes me think of Tiger Woods. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's true. It's it's true in sports. It's true in music. It's true in any kind of creative activity, or probably business as well. Sure. It's the it's the that having. Well, it's it's like if I'm playing when I was young and I was playing in bands, and somebody like some banjo player that I admired came up and suddenly was watching us play. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, there's something at stake. Mm-hmm. And then I need to impress them or whatever the thing is. And and then I'm not in the present moment. Yeah. I'm not enjoying playing. Instead and I'm the reward is not what, what it was. It, the, the reward of making music is the music. Is making it. Yeah. That's it. It's not listen. Like when I make a record, when I'm finished making the record, I barely listen to it anymore. Mm. Once in a while, I'll put it on like three years later and go, oh, yeah, that, that was fun. Yeah. But like the making of it is for me. Yeah. And the listening is for other people. Hmm. 
So, so in the present moment, if I'm if I'm not uh, present when I'm making the music, it's, I'm wasting my time. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we're running out of time. Last question that I always ask: Who are the writers who make you want to write? Uh, one of the first um, books or series of books that I read, I remember reading, was the Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah. And I, I've always talked about those, um, and in them I encountered goodness and and mm-hmm. real holiness, which is kindness and loyalty and compassion and mm-hmm. <laughs> stick-to-itiveness and all those great virtues that are in those books. Uh, those those are big in my life. And George MacDonald is he really his his stories are fantastic. But sometimes it, I love the didactic bits. He'll you stick do. these little bits in there that are like – it's like a little bit of a sermon. Uh-huh. But, I mean, it's just stuff that sticks in my head like he that would be a hero will barely be a man. Wow. You know, these little bits of wisdom where you go, wow, yeah, if I'm worried about being a hero instead of just like washing the dishes, yeah, then I'm I'm off the mark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so there's these little bits. So he makes me – Writers like that make me want to write things that benefit whoever they'll benefit. Yeah, you know, and yeah. and a lot of what I write has to do with you know like that kind of thing. Uh-huh. Like, like it's more my writing often is more the didactic or the your non-songwriting, your essays. My non-songwriting, yeah. yeah, yeah, and and even my songs, my older songs, a lot of them are are more truth in song form than mm-hmm. a story. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, through Rebecca Reynolds, I've got more interested in the story aspect. Uh-huh. Of it, but. Yeah. All right, Ron, thanks so much. I always love hearing you talk about the creative process. I always learn something. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. Appreciate it. The Rabbit Room has partnered with Lipscomb University to make this podcast possible. Lipscomb has graciously given us access to their recording studio and the Center for Entertainment and Arts building. We're so grateful for their sponsorship, their encouragement, and the good work they do in Nashville. Special shout out as well to the Arcadian Wild for allowing us to use their delightful song, Finch in the Pantry, as part of this podcast. Check out their album of the same name for more excellent music. The Habit Membership is a library of resources for writers by me, Jonathan Rogers. More importantly, The Habit is a hub of community where like-minded writers gather to discuss their work and give each other a little more courage. Find out more at thehabit.co. This podcast was produced by The Rabbit Room, a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to fostering Christ-centered community and spiritual formation through music, story, and art. All our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate.